So we came back from Leicester quite late um, because of the storm. We left Leicester 5 p.m. I think we got home almost 9 p.m. And you think, wow, wow, I wish I drove, but um, we decided to get a train. So I thought, I'm cold and I need to sleep a bit and get up. Then my phone rang and my sister said, oh, the next door neighbor just phoned to say, the ambulance has taken mom to hospital. So my mom lives on her own. And um, thankfully, the next door neighbor had my sister's number. I don't know what has happened yet, but I haven't heard any bad news. So hopefully we will um, hear some good news. Yes. But here we go. Then this morning, I was printing my sermon. The computer won't work. And you think, great. Okay. Now, the sermon is testing times. We're in Acts chapter 4. And um, the good has happened. And I thought, man, this didn't work when Jackie was here. What has happened? I realized some cable came off somewhere. So eventually we fixed it. But it's good. If you are visiting, we're in the book of Acts. Okay, we're in the book of Acts. Our theme for the year is Acts in our time. Okay, we're in the book of Acts trying to look at what the Holy Spirit did through our brothers and sisters centuries ago and how we can emulate. Okay, so Acts chapter 4 is where we are. It's times of testing. And uh, so I was tested last night and this morning, but it's very good for the soul. Um, You need to pray when you are tested. What else can you do? You can't blame anybody. You can't blame the printer. You can't blame the computer. You can't blame the ambulance services. You can't blame your mom for falling ill at midnight. You can't blame Storm Dennis, can you? Okay. You just need to pray in all situations. But um, if you have the Bible, fine. If you don't, we'll go through the scriptures there. Acts chapter 4. Let's pray before we read. God in heaven, thank you so much. And uh, that we can meet as a body. Um, You gave us the church. It nourishes us. It protects us. The world is against us. This is where we find solace. This is where we find encouragement. It's great to be together in spite of the storm bashing the whole world. And indeed, we do pray for what is going on in the world, Father. We pray for um, the coronavirus and the impact it's having and the fear in the hearts of people. We pray for the lady that Roy prayed about. And the sadness of people not seeing hope. They don't see hope and, and lives, Father. And uh, we pray for our, the world political geopolitics, that uh, there will be peace in our world, for the environment. I do pray specifically for our teenagers coming from the teen retreat, Father, that you protect them on their way back. We pray for our students coming back today as well, that you protect them on their way back. But God, help our hearts and our minds to be in your word today. And learn what you want us to learn. Uh, let your spirit lead us. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The other thing I did in Leicester was, uh, you know, when Seth got baptized, a friend of his called Dylan came. Um, Dylan was born and bred in Birmingham. And uh, Aston Villa supporter, he told me. He used to have season tickets at the age of 13 and 14. But um, so I didn't know. He lived in Leicester, but he's been driving all the way to Birmingham to study the Bible with Tosin, oh, wow. which I didn't know about. I thought he lived in, Le- in Birmingham. Okay. So uh, I was with Seth on uh, Wednesday, and I said, oh, I haven't seen Dylan. He said, oh, yeah, his car broke down or something in Leicester. I said, so what, how does that stop him being in, <laughs> in, in studying the Bible? Apparently, 
he's a student at DMU in Leicester. Wow. And so uh, when, when I said, let's meet and study the Bible, we don't have to travel to Birmingham to study the Bible. And of course, the brothers met, so he's in the good hands of the Leicester Church now. Yeah. They will study the Bible with him. Uh, but uh, it's encouraging the commitment of this young man driving all the way to Birmingham to study the Bible. Yeah. Acts chapter 4. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Amen. Of course, we've been through chapter 1, 2, and 3, and at this point, we just see the growth of the church. The message is being preached, response, and people are becoming followers of Christ. That is the good news so far. Now the testing times are coming. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas. John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man, who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you build as rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that this man had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed, Standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then confer together. What are we going to do with this man? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, 
Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders have said to them. When they heard this, they praised, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch your hand to heal, perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaking. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Amen. Amen. Acts 4. 1, 2, 3. The message had been preached. People have been convicted. They were being saved. And indeed, at the beginning of Acts 4, people were turning to God. But the council, the Sanhedrin, were not so pleased. And this is interesting. Now, people read this and say Christians need to be, we need to be able to uh, be rebellious and offend the authorities. Actually, that's not the message of Acts 4. That's not the message of Acts 4. We'll come to that in a moment. It is indeed time of testing, but how did they face the test? You see, the scripture tells us Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And if you study the Bible to become a Christian, perhaps when you counter the course, we make sure you understood that. We'll be persecuted. Okay? So persecution will happen. You know the parable of the sower. The seed fell among rocks. And we are told, those seeds um, on the rocky ground is for those who believe for a while but in time of testing they fall away the time of testing is all to come to test our faith amen, amen. if we are sitting here and everything is hunky dory we probably wouldn't even think about what Jesus did times of testing is always good for the saints and as a society by the way we are going to face time of test our Christian faith is being tested I wonder what will happen to us in 50 years' time. I may be dead and gone. But what will happen to Christendom in Britain in 50 years' time? Let's watch. The prediction is Islam probably will take over. They are uncompromising. They have the false teaching, but they are uncompromising. I remember... Is it um, 
Oh, I've forgotten his name. A TV presenter, Piers Morgan, was being challenged by Richard Dawkins. And Richard Dawkins said something derogatory about Christianity, about Jesus, actually. And then uh, Piers Morgan dared him. He said, can you say the same about Muhammad? He couldn't. He couldn't. He knew why. <laughs> he couldn't. And people say derogatory things about Jesus. And of course, Jesus said, we should turn the other cheek. And we should. We are not here to rebel. But we are not going to compromise the message of salvation. And Christians, this is what we see in the book of Acts. Jesus never asks us to be, to rebel. Okay. So, it's not about anarchy or rebellion. Jesus himself said, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses, you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. Christianity is not about anarchy or rebellion. Okay, that's not what we are called to do. In fact, these men were ordinary unschooled men. They couldn't organize any political thing at all. They were ordinary unschooled men. They were from Jewish background. They were firm believers in the Torah. And indeed, therefore, they were never insightful against their leaders. That's the background they came from. And we, as Christians, <laughs> that's our background. Yeah. I urge you, Paul says in the book of Timothy, for us to pray for kings and all those in authority. We don't rebel against authority. We pray for them. Yeah. Peter says, he's here, he's writing in his book, submit yourself to the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor or the supreme authority. 1 Peter 2 talks about that. So they were not here being rebellious. But there are certain things that Christians will not compromise on. And that first one is the resurrection. I mean, the rulers came to them and said, um, by what power or what name did you do this? Okay. And then they go on to tell them, um, look, who have no objection if you keep healing the sick. They didn't object to them healing the sick. As I said last week, the world want the Christian charity, but they don't want the Christ. And I think Christians will fool ourselves when we think our charitable works is the gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel must be preached. We must do good works, but the gospel must be preached. The gospel must be preached. We shared that last week. So they were happy for them to go and seek the, heal the sick and the crippled. It's okay to do the occasional miracle or two. We do not object to that. And we want to say vaguely that this miracle has been done in the name of the power of God, the loving creator of all men. Just say that and we'll have no problem with you. But don't mention Jesus. <laughs> the court would have been delighted if they performed miracles and healed the people around them and said, God did it. But don't say it was Jesus. That was the problem. 
but the apostles insist that there was a necessary connection, an essential connection between the miracle they've just performed and Jesus being raised from the dead. (laughs) They would not compromise on that. By implication, if it is true that Jesus is raised from the dead, and therefore he's a Messiah, then the high priest, what has he done? He's killed the Messiah. He's the Antichrist. He's anti-God. Do you, do you see the implication of what is going on? The name of Jesus Christ was intense. They will not compromise. So they go on to say, rulers and others, elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness, and they did an act of kindness, didn't they? Shown to a lame man. Then, let's tell you that it is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. They will not compromise that message. Christ crucified. And when we get baptized, isn't that a confession? Do you believe Jesus Christ died for you, was raised? And we say yes. What is your good confession? Jesus is Lord. That's right. That is our confession. We do not compromise on that. By all means, do good works. But share the message of Jesus. Yeah. That was the first thing. They will not compromise on the message. They were not rebelling, but the resurrection is true. And it should not be compromised. So they are saying, by all means, Christians, let's go and do good works. But let's not hold back sharing the true gospel as well. The next thing they had to deal with to overcome was the Holy Scripture. Isn't that interesting? How could ordinary, uneducated laymen suggest that the most eminent religious and spiritual authorities have made a fundamental mistake? How could they say that? And they said... um, Wow, this council, the experts of religion, they knew the law, failed to recognize the Messiah. How could you say that you're ordinary old school man? That he actually crucified him. How could you say that? They said, yes, we could say that because the scripture says so. The scripture says so. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Wow. They quoted the scriptures. Where did they get our scriptures from? If you remember three Sundays ago, we looked at it. Because Jesus Jesus quoted it. Remember the parable Jesus shared? And after he shared that parable, the teachers of the law, verse 19, looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus was talking about himself. And these guys repeat the same scripture. He said it's based on this conviction. 
We are using the scriptures to say, you crucified him. He predicted it and you've done it. And this man, they are, they are good at interviewing. They've done a lot of investigations. In fact, they investigated Jesus. They were true judges of character and they, they thought, why are these uneducated laymen so bold and confident in speaking? Where did they get their confidence from? Where did they get their knowledge from? How could they quote the Old Testament so appropriately? At the right time, suitably, fitting the occasion. How did they do that? How did they account for such knowledge in ordinary unschooled men? And he said, we knew instantly these people have been with Jesus. <laughs> they quote the scriptures he quotes. And again, guys, if we are going to face the time's coming. We need to be with Jesus. You say, where, where is Jesus? We need to be in his word. Yeah. We are going to use God's word, Jesus' words, for the walk we walk. We need to know the scriptures. We need to be able to quote it aptly at the right time. Because the scriptures are there. The, I think, and I'm not boasting about our church. But let me boast a bit about our church. One thing I love about this church is people know the scriptures. Yeah. Sit with anybody and they'll teach you the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And when we studied the Bible with people, they said, when I first came to church and people were studying the Bible with me, I used to look under the table if they are looking, they have something <laughs> referenced stuff. I thought, how come they know the scriptures so <laughs> I had all these questions. And they said, that's a very good question. Oh, turn to this page. And I'll look at the Bible and the answer is there. And I'll ask questions. And I'll say, turn to this page. <laughs> and I'll ask, turn to this page. And I'll look under the table watch whether they have some, something referenced. <laughs> they knew the scriptures. But that's what we should do. Yeah. The Holy Scriptures is what uncompromisingly we say, this is what the scripture said. This is what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit. The next one. How could this young, ordinary, unschooled man, well, not young, but average, middle-aged man, know so much about what they were talking about? Because Jesus has told them, everyone who speaks, verse 11 actually, when you are brought before the synagogues, before synagogue rulers, authorities, do not worry about what you defend yourselves or what you say. For the Holy Spirit will what? Teach you at a time what you should say. That's a promise made by the Holy Spirit to the disciples. That at the right time, God will give us the words to say. Now, in this age, you are not going to receive any word outside of the Bible. That is why it is important for us to go into the Bible. That's right, but they were able to actually defend themselves against these experts. And they said, these are ordinary fishermen. They haven't been to school. What are they doing? Because the Holy Spirit was using them. And it comes to the point, you know when in verse 9, I said, whoever disowns me before others will disown me. 
I'll disown before angels. And verse 10, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. And those who spoke against Jesus, he said, you'll be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit will use this man to speak the truth. And they have. We have the truth. Blaspheme against the Bible. Go against the Bible and you will not be forgiven. It is not the sinner who goes to hell. It is the unrepentant who looks at the word and refuses to obey. Those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Those who do not believe, who do not even come to senses with the word will not be saved. You are sinning against the Holy Spirit. You will not be forgiven. And this man had to watch out. That wow, the Holy Spirit is using these people. So when we are confronted, let's depend on the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Not on our strength. On the word and on the Holy Spirit. The prayers of the believers was next. I love that. So they come to them and said, guys, we've been arrested, but we've been released. He said, they go to them and said, uh, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Amen. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They go about the rulers. They said, no, 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 no. We don't bow to men. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. You are the one we need to bow to. And guys, we shouldn't be afraid of men. God alone. Okay? We shouldn't be afraid of men. We should always go to the scriptures and see what God is telling us to do. He spoke through the Holy Spirit, through David. And it comes to the point where they said, now Lord, consider their threats. Kill all of them. No. Consider their threats. Enable us to speak with boldness. So, we do not run away from opposition. Actually, we pray for boldness. We pray for boldness. So that we can speak the word with fervency. And that's what we need to do. We need to pray. If we are going to face testing times, we need to pray for boldness. We do not compromise. We do not run away. We pray for boldness. As I shared, um, I've made this my, one of my New Year things. I'll be visiting every train station in Birmingham. I don't know where it is yet. At least I know from Sutton Cove to <coughs> Longbridge. That line I know about. But I made a decision. I'm stopping at every station, spend time, and talk to people. And my invitation came. Michael designed the invitation for me. Let's talk faith. Okay. I printed 500. I should have done 1,000, actually. It would have cost me just two pounds extra. <laughs> now, now I'm kicking myself. Because I did 500. I thought, wow, why didn't I do 1,000? Okay. I'm kicking myself for that. But you know what? We need to go out in boldness and share the message. We'll face opposition. I remember when we were doing the gospel on this Muslim guy came intimidating me. And I thought, I don't want an argument. You saw him. He kept coming. He said, we need to meet up. He said, oh, if you are going to quote some this, it's rubbish. And 
And I said, um, I said, Muhammad wouldn't say God's word is rubbish. He repented. <laughs> they respect the scriptures. Okay. And um, after we studied, you know, when Somaya became disciples, they came from a Muslim background. We looked at Jesus. And we, Jesus, you can't get away from Jesus. You cannot compare the life of Muhammad with the life of Jesus. <laughs> I said to them, what was the youngest age? What is the age of Muhammad's youngest wife? How old was she? Sixteen. There we go. What? Sixteen is too old. There we go. Read about these things. So, um... We are not fighting them, but we need to go out in boldness with the facts and with scriptures. You need to know the messianic prophecies. You need to know the deity of Christ to be able to put before this. And that's what they were doing here, by the way. They were putting the deity of Christ before the Sanhedrin, before Judaism. And as we go through the book of Acts, we get to Acts 17. Many gods. So, by the way, multi-religion is not a new thing. It was right in the book of Acts. But Jesus is whom we preach. Okay, that is the message we take out. But with prayer, with prayer, we are not going for confrontation. We need to be wise. Paul says to us in the book of Timothy, the Lord's man should not argue. We do not argue. We present the message, and the message does its work. But we need to, in times of testing, we are not to be rebellious. We need to stand on the message of the resurrection of Christ, by which we are saved. Amen? Amen. We need to know the scriptures. We go with the scriptures, not our intellect. Remember that guy I met on the train who came to do the apologetics? In Leicester. He wants to come and do it in Birmingham. Pray for that. He said to me, Roger, when you meet people, I said to him, look, I didn't read science and all that. My faith is basic. I don't know how to argue with um, Stephen Hawking and all those guys. He said, when you meet people, the debate shouldn't be from head to head. He said, the message should always go from to their heart. They cannot defend. He said, Christians tend to meet these intellectuals and we're having an intellectual debate. He said, never, we shouldn't do that. He doesn't get anywhere. He said, go straight into their heart. Open Galatians 5.19 and get them to read it. And ask them, how do you fit into this? Because that is life. That is life. Sexual immorality, how do you get around it? Do you do it? How do you repent of it? Drunkenness. Do you do it? How do you repent of it? Husband, life, your wife. Do you do it? How do you? He said, go to the heart of all these intellectuals. They have life. They live lives. They sleep and they wake up and they go to work. Ask them how they are dealing with life. And that's what we're doing. The Holy Scriptures will help people. The Holy Scriptures will help people. The Holy Spirit is leading us. Amen. 
the Holy Spirit is leading us, as we read, read in Acts 2. And finally, our prayer. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for each other. That's what they did in the book of Acts. They prayed all the time. I'll show you the thing last week. 31 times it's recorded as they pray, individually or collectively. Because they cannot depend on their own strength. So the question we ask ourselves, times of texting. The good times will come, but from here on, in the book of Acts, there is the good and the times of testing. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first time persecution comes and it goes consistently through to the end. As we hit chapter 5, the testing comes from within. Mm. And the nice sense of fear sin occurs. Acts 6, there is division within the church. So what we face in our church is sin, division. It was there. Yeah. How do we deal with them? We learn from them, but they never compromise the message because we are here today talking about it. Imagine if the 12 of them said we stop, or the 120 or whatever. We are fed up with all this. Let's, let's pack up. We wouldn't be here. But their message went to the world because they were not rebellious. They prayed for the authorities. They believe in the resurrection. They apply the scriptures, they allow the Holy Spirit to use them, and they never stop praying. As Paul says, continually be prayerful. So that's the message we take. In times of testing, we are called to do the same. Thank you very much for your time.